Amen. Uh, before we start here this morning, uh, I want to uh, just share with you a little bit about this text that we're going to be reading and we're going to be studying and looking at here in a few moments. Over the course of my last seven years, people ask me often, believe it or not, Ryan, why do you give the same benediction every single week? Why don't you change it up just a little bit? Why don't you give us, you know, two or three or five or ten different benedictions each and every week? And the answer is simple, really. It's, 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 it's twofold. The first reason why is that it molds us and shapes us. And as I've said, one of the phrases that I've learned here in Texas is that we've slept since then, meaning I've forgotten what happened yesterday and certainly forgotten what happened last week Sunday in church. And so we need to be reminded again of God's goodness and his blessing towards us. And so simply it's a way in which through the repetition of things and over a course of time, we don't forget. We don't forget God's blessing and we don't forget who he is and what he's done for us. The second is it's just practical. It's a practical way for us to know and understand who God is and what he is and what he's done for us. And it's pretty easy to remember. So if you're able, please rise as we read God's word together. And I will encourage you and I want to try to do this perhaps a little bit different than what we've done for the past few years, but just hear God's word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. So far the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you praise for who you are and how you have worked in our lives and how you continue to work in our lives. So, Holy Spirit, take the words of this, your humble servant. Carry them to these beloved here. Whether here in this room or online today, tomorrow, or sometime in the future, will you, by the power of your word, mold and shape lives. Make us more like Christ. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Richard Griffin, you may or may not know this person's name, I would be willing to bet that you have no idea who Richard Griffin is. So here's what, I'm going to tell you who Richard Griffin is. Richard Griffin is a former bodyguard of the late Queen Elizabeth of England. He was interviewing or was being interviewed by a, a British television show and they were just asking him about his courses with the Queen and telling stories about her life and his experience with her. And he was remembering that she would often go into the country, into her holiday home, and her tradition or her, her pattern was is that each day, if the weather was nice enough, she would go for a walk, just out in the country. She would go for a stroll, and he remembered that often they would bump into tourists. And there was always a conversation, and she would always be kind and, and grateful to the tourists that would come up to her and greet her, and it was always a very pleasant thing. But on one particular day, he tells the story about an encounter that he had. And I'm just going to tell you this story, and I'll be reading a little bit, so just bear with me. But it's, it's, it's a good story. It's a fun story. He says this, The queen would always stop and say hello to the tourist. But it was clear on this particular day when he bumped into some 
tourists from the United States of America, they had not recognized her. So the American tourists started making small talk with the queen before asking her, hey, do you live in the area? She said, well, I live in London, but I have a holiday home just over the hills. And so the tourists then asked the queen, well, how long have you been coming on your vacation home here in the country? And she said, well, since I was a very little girl, so about 80 years or so. And the, and the tourists were really excited, and, and they said, well, if you've been coming here for 80 years, you must have met the queen at some point in your life, right? <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, and, and she said that, uh, well, without missing a beat, she says, well, I haven't, but Dickie here has, and he can tell you a story about meeting the queen. And, and so the bodyguard then said to the tourist to turn to him and ask, well, 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 what is the queen like, Richard? And he said, she can be very cantankerous at times, but she has a lovely sense of humor. Still oblivious to the fact that they were in the presence of royalty, the tourist threw his arm around the bodyguard and put his camera into the queen's hand and said, will you take a picture of us? <laughs> the queen obliged. The tourist then took a snap with her as well and went on their way. And Richard then says this last little statement that the queen told him with loving memory of the late queen. He, she told him, I would love to be a fly on the wall. When, she, when he shows those photographs to friends in America... Hopefully someone tells him who I am. (laughs) Faces are important, aren't they? Faces are important to us, especially a face as revered and beloved as the late Queen Elizabeth. And we wonder to ourselves, and we laugh, and we think it's a funny story because we think, how in the world can anyone mistake Queen Elizabeth? Of all people, everybody in the world knows who Queen Elizabeth is, and everyone knows her face except perhaps if you're just strolling in the country and the context is different and you just aren't thinking in those terms. And I wonder if we would recognize her as well. But wouldn't it be obvious if we came across Queen Elizabeth? But often we do miss a face. And we miss the obvious things of life, like recognizing a face, like even recognizing a very famous face like Queen Elizabeth. And faces tell us stories, don't they? Faces tell us stories. Some faces are rough and and rugged and have years of weathered experience. And you can even begin to deduce that this rough, rugged face may be the face of a a sailor who has seen the weather over the seas or perhaps a, a roofer who has seen too many Texas summers on top of a roof. Or maybe you could, some years ago, look at the face of a Japanese princess with her face painted white, and you would be able to know that her station is a little bit different than yours or mine. She was a lady, royalty, and there will be no mistaking about that. Some faces tell us years of sadness. Some faces tell us just two little years of experience. An infant's face tells us a different story than a grandmother's face. Faces tell us happiness. They tell us innocence. They tell us frustration. They tell us anger. They tell us all sorts of things, and a face says a thousand words. I remember my father had a look. Do you remember your father's look? 
My father had a look that I knew I'd done something wrong. And that's all it took. He also had a look of love and compassion and pride. He had that look too. Both from the same man. Our spouses have looks that only we know. Reserved just for the other. Husbands, you know that look. Wives, you know that look. It's a special look. A look of love and compassion a look of acceptance and joy, but they also, our spouses, have a look of, at that party, you've said something and you've gone too far. Both from the same person. A face says a thousand words. And here in this text, we stand before the face of God. And He lifts His countenance upon us. And He turns His face towards us. And so I wonder, what is the Lord's face telling us in these three verses? Do they tell us a thousand words or more? Do they tell us three words or less? And if it is true then that a face says a thousand words, what is God's face telling us today? The face that's looking at his people. A face that's looking at his people with compassion and grace and mercy and love. So then what a comfort it is for us to know that face. To know that despite our failings, despite our wanderings, Our brokenness, our embarrassment, our shame. He continues to look at us. He continues to look at us with a face of loving compassion. A face that fills us with blessings. So this morning I want to look at what that blessing is. For it's far more than just a look. It's far more than just a statement. And it's far more than just three words tucked away in a book that we never read. It has real and living results. So as we enter into this exposition of this text, we need to understand the overarching thrust of this benediction, this blessing. When we come to church, we come with a certain set of expectations. It's just the reality and the the, the practicality of the human existence. We want to be fed, we want to grow, we want to learn, we want to sing, we want to pray, we want to receive grace, and we want to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. But really, why are we here? Is it for me? Or is it for something else? You see, we, we, we call this thing that we're doing right here worship. So what is that, or who is it that we're worshiping? The intent is that we worship the Lord our God. Not to worship what we get out of it or what we hope to get out of it, but to enter into a time in which for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, if you're lucky, an hour and a half, we focus on who the Lord is and what He's doing and what He has done in our life. And so even as we receive this benediction each and every week, the focus is not on you or on me. The focus is in the Lord. How do I know that? Am I just making that up because that sounds like a really good thing for a pastor to say? No, maybe. But how do we know that this is about the Lord? Because if you look at these three verses, it's three verses, and every single verse says the same thing, or at least a sense of the same thing. The Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you, verse 24. 
Verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Verse 25 says that. Verse 26, the Lord. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. So are these three words about you and me? Or are they about what the Lord does and who he is and what he will do and what he will always do for you? You see, each verse has the repetition of the Lord three times. The Lord in capital letters in the English language also means something else to us. It means Yahweh in the original language. And if we remember the context of numbers, the people have come out of Egypt and they are in the wilderness and Yahweh is the God who took them out of Egypt, who destroyed the most powerful army in the world, defeated Pharaoh, did all of these amazing plagues to, to take them out of Egypt, to remove their slavery, to, re, to, to remove their chains, and to bring the people to himself. This is the same God who, who Moses now, who is the author of Numbers, is receiving these words from God atop Mount Sinai. Yes, the same mountain where the presence of the Lord took a hold and literally shook the mountain and the ground quaked and they could not, the people of God could not touch the mountain unless they perished. So the Lord, Yahweh, is saying to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The same God that took them out of Egypt, the Lord bless you and keep you. The same God who destroyed Pharaoh, may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The same God who brought them into the wilderness to himself, to himself may lift up his countenance and give you peace. The holy, righteous God who shakes mountains and causes the earth to quake is now giving them a blessing. And he's telling Moses to tell Aaron, to tell the people, this is who your God is. And this is what he's doing for you. And this is the part that we just skim over in the benediction. We forget about the holiness aspect of it. We forget about the righteous aspect of it. We forget about the almighty nature of the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, whose name we dare not say. This holy, righteous God now looks at you in the eyes. And he says, grace to you and peace to you. How often we forget the fear of the Lord. We like to think of God as our buddy and our friend. But in this context, the background was great fear and great terror, awe and wonder. And they receive these words. They see this kind and compassionate holiness gaze upon them in mercy and forgiveness. And three times in three verses, this holy, righteous, and almighty Yahweh is bending towards them and bending towards you and me, blessing them, blessing us. And so let's look at these few verses that we find in number six. And the first portion of this blessing is the provision of the Lord. Yahweh tells Moses again to tell Aaron, to tell the people that this is what I'm going to do. The Lord will bless you. This is the very desire of the Lord. This is the heart of the Lord. In number six of all places, 
a place that we would not generally say, where is it that I could find the intimacy of God? Perhaps we would go to to Romans maybe, or perhaps we would go to 1 Corinthians to find the intimacy of God's heart, to know what is God's heart and what is his passion towards you? Where would you go? Was your knee-jerk reaction, hey, let's go to Numbers, because there we'll find the intimacy of God. Yet this is where we find God's true desire. His desire is to bless you. This is the intimacy of his desire towards you and towards me. Blessing, then, in the original language, says to bestow favor upon. This is what blessing means. But now we can take that any number of ways, right? We could, we could say, well, blessing looks like financial freedom and security. We could say that life is easy and smooth and I've got everything in control and life is good and grand and there's no problems. That could be a blessing. Maybe that's how we often think of blessing. But is that really what we're talking about here? Certainly there is an element of security and comfort and financial blessing. Those things are true, and that can be a blessing. The Lord does not want to see us suffer. But ultimately, that's not all that is tied to His blessing. For the blessing of the Lord, He wants us to see this morning is not comfort and security of financial stability or material wealth or any of these things. Or even to say that everything is going right and good and now we're blessed because of that. Whereas if things are hard, we're not blessed. That's not what God is doing. How do we know that? Because each and every one of us knows that that's not reality. Life is hard. We are broken people with broken lives, with broken families, with broken churches. And so has the Lord somehow removed His blessing from us when things are difficult and hard? Certainly not. And that's what number six is communicating to us because we all know tragedy. Each one of us in this room this morning is struggling with something. Some temptation, some element of brokenness, some level of uncertainty or or doubt or lack of faith or, or wondering, God, what in the wide world are you doing with my life? I can't see you around the corner. Our faith is being tested at every corner. And so the blessing that we need to understand is that the Lord is promising to be near. You see, the blessing that we receive in number six is God himself. He is our blessing. I was at the zoo this week with Mary Beth. Um, As one of the last things that we're doing here in Texas, we decided to go to the Fort Worth Zoo and also trying to fulfill a promise that I made to her last summer that we would see the new cat exhibit at the Fort Worth Zoo. Not the little kitty cat kind, but the, the big cat kind. And it is a really good exhibit. You need to go to the Fort Worth Zoo because it is a really great zoo. But we got there a little bit early, and we were waiting in line to enter the zoo. And as you might imagine, there were a number of families waiting there with us. These families were comprised mostly of, of little ones. And that they were excited to go into the zoo and see whether big kitties or little kitties. It doesn't matter. But one of those toddlers was running around and they didn't, the mom didn't want her in her stroller just because that doesn't make any sense. Let her run, let her get her energy out a little bit. But the toddler was being a toddler. And the toddler then was running around and as toddlers do, she tripped over her own shoe and she fell on the ground. And then what do we know toddlers do after that? They cry and they cry and they cry and they cry. And this is what this little girl did. 
It was an the innocence of a skinned knee. A child afraid and embarrassed that she just tripped over her own shoe. And she was looking around, looking around, just trying to find her mom. And her mother knelt down. She went on one knee. She spread her arms. And the little girl ran right into her mom's arms, arms, tears coming down her face. And she buried her head into the mom's chest like she couldn't get enough of it. And the mother embraced her. The mom then looked at the knee and determined that everything was okay. Everything was going to be all right. And she continued to squeeze this little girl. All the girl needed was to know that her mom was there. Nothing else mattered in that moment. That she could run into her mother's arms and everything was going to be all right. The blessing of number six is that we can run into the arms of our God. We can bury our face into his chest because he's near to us. He's not far away. We don't have to look around. He bends his knee towards us. And he says, come. This is the image of Numbers 6, verse 24. So why again have I given this benediction week after week? Because our weeks are full of skinned knees, fear, uncertainty, doubt. Is God really there for me? Can I trust God today? Can I trust God tomorrow? Our weeks are full of brokenness and uncertainty. Each week is doubt and skepticism and faithlessness. And each week we set out on our own course only to find ourselves crying yet once again. And the one thing that we truly need is the one thing that He promises to us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And He's always near. He takes us in His arms and He allows us to bury our faces into His embrace. The blessing of the Lord is the very presence of the Lord. Number 624. He blesses us with Himself. And again, the Lord knows our weeks are full of these challenges and that's why He tells us that He will bless us with His presence and that He will also do something else, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. So the blessing is not only His presence, but also His protection. The concept of keeping is prominent in the Old Testament. It's this sense and the understanding of protection. So part of this blessing, this benediction, is the presence, but it's also the protection. And there, there are many, many ways of, of looking at the Word and the concept of, of keeping and there are any number of texts that we can go to in the Old Testament and the New Testament to help us understand and to, and to refer us to what this keeping actually looks like. But I want to go perhaps a little bit different direction, and I want to just share a little story, another story with you. So in our family lately, we found this show that we like to watch, or at least a few of us like to watch. And we've been watching it lately, and it's just some good old-fashioned Good television, if you want to put it in those words. Nothing fancy, nothing dramatic, nothing violent, nothing, any of those kind of things. It's a competition where people are tasked with, with a challenge and they have to perform this challenge and they're, and they're judged on their ability to, to perform this challenge. 
If you don't perform well enough, you're sent home. If you keep winning, you're promised a really great prize at the end of the show. The winner of the season will receive $100,000 and all is great. The show is Lego Masters. If you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to go and watch it. So as a father of four, of all of my kids have enjoyed building Lego. I also, as a father of four, have stepped on too many Legos with bare feet and know the pain of that. But the show was essentially reverting back to childhood and understanding what this is. But as a father of three boys who built Legos all the time, you generally, at least in my family, build one of three things. You either build a race car, you build a spaceship, or you build a castle. And in one of these particular episodes, these people, these adults now, were charged with building a castle. And in a castle, every castle that we know, with any castle that holds its weight or any castle that is deserving of being called a castle, has a special place called a keep. And in that keep is the, is the most protected place. It's the place where the, the king and the queen, even Queen Elizabeth, can go and be safe. No matter the attack, no matter what's happening, the king and the queen can revert back to the center of the castle, and there's all kinds of bricks, whether real bricks or Lego bricks, that no matter what's happening on the outside, the keep is safe. Nothing can harm you. No matter how awful and bad and terrible life can be, no matter how broken we are, no matter even how broken our castle is, we can go back to the keep and we know that we're safe. The most protected place, the safest place, the place that when all else fails and you know without any doubt you're going to be okay, that you cannot be harmed, that you cannot be touched, is the keep. My favorite psalm, and this psalm was, was read over me even this week, and it reminded me of something this week. And I've preached on this psalm here in this church prior, but I've used it in so many different contexts in so many different ways. I've used it at the bedside of people dying. I've used it at the bedside of people being born. It's a wonderful psalm, but it speaks to this very thing of God's protection, of his keeping you. And I just want you to quiet your hearts for just a moment, and I want you to hear this psalm as well. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore, the protection of the Lord is the fact that He is your keep and He is your keeper. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He promises to protect you no, no matter what tomorrow 
has in store for you. No matter what next year has in store for you, your family, this church, this country, this world, the Lord is your keep and he is your keeper. Dearly beloved of Arlington Presbyterian Church, wasn't expecting that right there. It's been an honor and a joy and a privilege to be your pastor these seven years. If you hear nothing more from me or if you remember anything that I have ever said from this pulpit, I urge you to remember number 624. Where the Lord promises to keep you. He promises to protect you. No matter what lies before you. As a church. As a family. Or as a, pater- as a person. He protects you. He is your keep and your keeper. The blessing then turns yet again. It turns from presence and protection to peace. It turns to comfort. Imagine with me again the scene at the gates of Fort Worth Zoo where this tear-soaked little girl buries her face into the embrace of her mother. Because the scene is not merely the actions of a child, but more importantly, the action of the mother that we need to look at. She bends down on a knee and allows the child to run into her arms. And the mother engulfs her child with a strong, warm embrace of comfort and peace. Everything's better now. The child is in the keep of her mother's arms. And no harm can come to her now. The scratch on her knee is insignificant. The world around the girl and the mother doesn't exist. All it is is that moment of embrace. In that embrace, there's an intimacy of love and grace that is a beautiful picture. In the middle of the pain and even the middle of the embarrassment and shame of tripping over our own shoes, tripping over our own brokenness, tripping over our own shame and embarrassment of our guilt, the Lord God Almighty still embraces us and we can bury our heads into his embrace. And he gives us peace when everything around us seems to crash down and is painful. The Lord God Almighty says that he will then turn his face towards you, that he will lift his countenance upon you. What does that mean? We could simply and easily say that it means to smile at you. And that would be a decent illustration. But it is more than simply a smile. It's more intimate than even a smile. It's the smile of a mother as she looks into the crying toddler's eyes. She smiles at her daughter and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. 
It's the moment when the mother leans back just a little bit to raise the chin of the child, to have the child look into her eye, to, into her eyes and say, sweetheart, you're all right. There's no condemnation there. There's no judgment there. It's a mother raising a chin and kissing her forehead, embracing her all over again and saying, I love you. It's the moment when the child looks back into the mother's eyes and understands the compassion and there's no more embarrassment or shame. The skinned knee no longer hurts because the mother smiles and the daughter peers upward into her eyes, smiles softly, and they embrace again. And the child struggles to find deeper portions of the mom's chest. You see, peace, true peace, is found nowhere else than in the presence, the protection, and the peace of Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. And we try with everything that we have to find peace in everything other than in that embrace, don't we? We try to find peace in our own protection in our own preservation, in our own ability to survive, in our own successes, and even sometimes in our own failures, we seek after our own security, our own autonomy, our own power, our own control. But at the end of the day, true peace is found only in the embrace of the Lord God Almighty. Peace is not only comfort, is it? It's not only safety. Peace is not only security and calm. Peace is when the weapons have been laid down. Peace is when the threat no longer exists. Peace is when relationships have been restored. Peace is when enemies are made friends. Peace is when the lion lays down with the lamb. Peace is all encompassing. And we are only at peace when we are whole. And the word that's used here in Numbers, the the, the original language is shalom. And shalom is far more than just peace. It's an all-encompassing, totally existence of of peace. It's, It's a large word that embraces the good that comes from the Lord. It's a far more grand and glorious word than merely the cessation of violence and conflict. Shalom is the embodiment of the blessings that we find in number six. Shalom is provided and shalom is found in only one place. It's not in you and it's not in me. It's only in the Lord. And the shalom of the Lord is found indeed in His provision, in His protection, and in His peace. And these are ultimately fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, number six, otherwise known as the ironic blessing, is a blessing that looks forward to Christ. It looks forward to the coming of Jesus, for it is in Christ alone that we are truly embraced. It's the true face of Jesus that looks upon us in our suffering, in our doubt, and in our fear, and he gives us himself. And so there is no greater blessing than what we have in Christ and his sacrifice for us. This blessing, this benediction, is fulfilled in the outstretched arms of our Savior Jesus. 
I do not fully know the next steps. I do not know what's around the next corner. I do not know how or where the Lord will lead this church or my family or His church. But what I do know is this. That the Lord is present with us. What I do know is this. The Lord protects us. What I do know is this. That He gives us His peace through Jesus Christ. And I know that we will ever be before the face of the Lord. Coram Deo. So my friends, run into the embrace of the Lord who smiles, who lifts up your chin and says, I love you. And so my friends, may the Lord bless you. May He keep you. The Lord lift His face to you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Lord, our God, we give you thanks and praise that you were ever before us and that we can stand before your face and see you smile and know that you bless us in ways and means that we can not even fathom. And you've chosen to bless us through this table that we're about to partake in. You've chosen us to bless us, to remind us of the sacrifice of our Savior through this bread and through this cup. And so prepare our hearts and our lives to receive this meal, to remember, to believe that you are our God and that you're with us and you protect us and you give us peace. And so we thank you for this meal. We thank you for this time. Go before us, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our God, amen.